What the fuck am I gonna tell him? Hey, Jimmy. God said you had another marker. Came to collect. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk, who's rubbing his eyes like he's exacerbated with me. Um, this week on the podcast, guys, we're going to be reviewing the 2003, we're going to jump back 20 years as we do, 20th anniversary of Mystic River, a very important film uh, in our lives for a number of different reasons, but mainly because you guys are from the Boston area. Uh, I went to school in the Boston area, um, and this came out relatively a year before I met you guys. So uh, we talked a lot about this movie, and I think it's one that uh, we um, have differing and perhaps evolving opinions about. So um, I'm excited to talk about it. I know we all really excited about it. And then we're going to wrap it up with a Clint Eastwood trivia game, which I'm very excited about and have worked quite hard on. And I think, Jeremy, we're going to predict maybe who said what about the movie and what the sort of... I'm sorry, I must have missed that Marco Polo. Um, but No, I, it's, this is just one of those movies. Some movies I know what you guys are going to think about it going in. And like this one's particularly interesting because I know what we used to think about it when it came out 20 years ago. Um, but I really don't know, because I haven't seen it in, in a, almost a couple decades. Um so I'm very curious what you guys think. And I just thought it'd be fun to try to predict. Uh, so I, I wrote down, like, I think Chapin thinks this and Lee thinks that. And I could be completely off. Do we want to do that now or will you want to wait? Let's talk? Save no, let's, I say we let's save it. Save, save it. that yeah, save it. the end. <clears throat> okay, great. Well, guys, so um, I have a lot of stats here and I don't want to blow any of my information that I'm going to use for the thing. But we know Clint Eastwood has directed a lot of movies. Okay. Um, and I'm curious... Uh, I think we all have sort of our a sort of love hate relationship with Clint, and perhaps lately it's been more hate than love. But I'm wondering um, what you guys think. If you had to, if there was a a six shooter to your head, what do you think is one theme that runs through all of his work? What unites it? I, I, you know, I don't think we think of Clint as an auteur. Or I, and you're talking about his direct. I am. I am. I'm not yeah. talking about his. And 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 if you want um, to be more specific, you could say post Unforgiven. But I, I think you can talk. I mean, I think that's probably what we're all most familiar with. But um, I want to know how we can connect. What like what's what speaks to you guys about Clint's work? What what do you think? Um, what do you think's a, a through line between his movies? Because he's a guy who's made a ton of movies, but it's not someone who stands out to me as um, a filmmaker who ha- has sort of <clears throat> themes that are very evident in his movies. Which we can debate is a good thing or a bad thing too. Yeah, I <clears throat> I don't know that. It, so when you ask like 
is there a theme that connects his movie? I, I really don't think that there is necessarily. I think what connects his movies, and I think especially during this period of Mystic River, which I was looking, I think this 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 like time period of, of movies he directed probably began in 2002 with Bloodwork, which actually I have not seen. So really for me, it began with Mystic River and it went to about 2010 or 11 and ended around like the hereafter J. Edgar period. <laughs> um, but, and that was when I was like, Clint can do no wrong. But I think this extends through his whole career as a director that he is only really interested in the story. Mm. And that's what he focuses on. He likes to try to find an interesting story and tell that. And for better or worse, pays less attention to the other aspects of filmmaking. And you can look at things like some of like some of his, you know, lesser successes recently, like 15 to 15, 17 to Paris. I don't think Sully is a very good movie. Um, I got cry macho is a little bit of a, uh, um, exception to this I think that was more of a reflection type piece but these are all like 1517 Sully Mystic River Changeling um <clears throat> J. Edgar Flags of Our Fathers Letters for Iwo Jima are about a very specific story event thing that he tries to capture on film and I think that's the connecting piece of his movies and I think it's appropriate to you know, focus on this time period. If we start to include movies like Unforgiven, which are is so much more than that, um, in terms of like its themes and characters and all that. Um, <clears throat> if we focus on this time period, like he just seemed to be interested in finding an interesting story and kind of telling it the way that he tells it, uh, and that's the I think the connecting thread. I mean, I would try to get a little bit more specific um, just to answer your question, Chapin, uh, whether it fully fits with every one of his movies. That's no, tough and, and, to and do. I'm not asking it to. Um, but I would I would uh, bring up regret in relationships, whether in mostly f- familial relationships, but they can be otherwise. But <clears throat> I feel like that's something that he deals with a lot. I mean, you look at Unforgiven and Clint Eastwood and uh, Clint Eastwood character and everything he did. Bef- and, and Did you say, sorry, Jeremy, did you say regret and relationships or regret, no, regret and within, relationships? Within, within, okay. within relationships. And then, um, like, I started watching The Mule, like, right at the beginning. It was, like, a estranged father. Yeah. Um, Gran Torino, sort of the that 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 works there um i don't know i mean that's I, interesting it, yeah because these are mystic like kind of Riv- the other movies <clears throat> mystic river obviously which applies. we're talking about is a is, it, that's a big part of this is you know family relationships and making mistakes and decisions that you have to live with within that so i think if i could try to narrow it down a little bit um although a lot of his characters uh, million Dollar Baby. There's another one. It's Clint Eastwood and and Hilary Swank's relationships is is trying to sort of make up for other lost ones. Um, I think that's definitely a theme in his movies. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, mine is a little more broad than that, but I like that you were that specific, Jeremy. That was great, Lee. Maybe you can think of a better answer than story. Um, well, I told you that the <laughs> but theme, hold on a second. I don't let see me, a lot of me, connecting me, themes, but... I mean, to me, like, in almost all of these movies, and I haven't seen, like, Invictus or Hereafter, but there's always, like, a flawed protagonist who is... A sort of a reluctant hero and i know that that sounds like kind of basic but i think um you know once you put it all together like or once you think about sort of the cumulative nature of of eastwood's films they all become it's sort of overwhelming how you know and often he plays them how often his protagonists are um just super flawed almost anti-heroes in some cases the i would say sean penn is an anti-hero in, in this film and um you know richard jewell the mule um cry macho i think that they like the hero usually has you know is a, is reluctant and is often a, a flawed person and um that's what I've noticed. Um, I do to, like that reluctancy. I like that word, especially when it comes to these characters. Yeah. I think and, it, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Lee. Well, I think what you guys are talking about apply. I, maybe we're it's this is split into kind of two categories because if you look at movies, I haven't seen the Mule, um, but Cry Macho, the Mule. Um, I'm looking. I mean, I think Mystic River sort of crosses over to maybe both of those. Unforgiven. You have this, you know, flawed protagonist that you're talking about, Chapin, and you also have these complicated relationships that you're talking about, Jeremy. And then you have movies like A Million Dollar Baby is another one that I think applies there too. Um, and then you have movies like Fifteen Seventeen, Sully, um, <clears throat> and Mystic River also applies here, and Flags of Our Fathers, Let Us Do Ajima, Changeling, and these are the ones that are focused on like a very specific story that is unique enough to make a movie about. And those aren't necessarily like Changeling and Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers and stuff like those aren't flawed protagonists. There's some complicated characters for sure, but I think you can split it into kind of two categories on things that maybe he's just interested in and what draws him to these projects. Um, almost all of uh, all of almost all of his movies, I would say, fit the elevator pitch that Chape and you always bring up, mm. which I wonder, we don't have to talk about this now. Maybe, maybe it'll just come up as we're discussing it. It's like, does, does Eastwood need that? Does he need the quick elevator it's, pitch or can he do more? Well, I, I would almost disagree with that when it comes to mystic river. And it, mm. I mean, in general, I would agree with that though, though. Lee. It's interesting that you say that. I mean, I think we should, we, we've sort of talked about it casually and, and referenced it um, in other podcasts, but we do always talk about, the sort of infamous Clint Eastwood work schedule, which is, you know, shoot one or two takes and then move on and be done by lunch. Um, Jeremy's dream is to work on a, to work on a Clint Eastwood movie, but, but it is, it is, it is true. Like he, he doesn't shoot a lot. He works very fast. Um, And, you know, it kind of fits this sort of archetype of this 93 year old man who is starring and, directing and producing his own movie, you know, wanting to hit the golf course before the sun sets, you know? And, <laughs> um, I think 
I, I try not to look too much into that. And I, I when I was thinking about how to host this podcast, I, I compared Eastwood to Soderbergh in that I think these guys just like to work. Yeah. You know, they just like to make movies. And well, I, the, I, I, the big difference between those two is one has a, a bigger ticking clock than the other. That's true. I would I would I would agree with that. But I, I, I don't to me, I don't really see that with Eastwood. I don't think his movies are getting any better or any worse, really. I, I, don't, I don't think there's a lot of um, thought put into his career, which is fine. I mean, he's just a director. That's But that's... what I'm saying is, like, he's he only has so many movies he's got left and maybe stories to tell. It's not necessarily that. Right, and in fact, the, the next movie is supposedly pitched as his last movie. And sounds awesome. Well, I haven't even... I'm you... just looking at the title, and I love the title, and that's all I need. Can I read you guys the... The plot please, summary. Please, please do. Juror number two, directed by Clint Eastwood, written by Jonathan Abrams, starring Nicholas Holt, Clint Eastwood, and Gabriel Basso, who Chapin, you know, we love from uh, <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy. And then I guess he was in um, The Night Agent, which was apparently just this awful Netflix show. Um, so this is during a high-profile murder trial. One of the jurors, family man Justin Kemp, seeks to protect the defendant without putting himself in jeopardy as he progressively realizes he killed the victim in a careless driving accident. Awesome. Okay. That guys, sounds cool. We got to get into Mystic River now. We're 15 yes, minutes. Yes, please. In. Okay. So Mystic River. Um gentlemen, I, I have didn't a didn't I have watch a, it. I have a <laughs> Yeah. So what happens in this in this <laughs> movie? Okay, guys. So so my my brief rec- recollection of your relationship with this movie is you guys both really liked it, perhaps mm-hmm. loved it at the time, and I never liked it. I never thought it was good. I always thought it was uh, overrated, and I've never understood this film. As much as I've wanted to like it, it's kind of right up my alley. Crime, Boston, the old neighborhood. Um, you know, it's got great, got a great cast. Um and I just have to say, like, I, I, I am watching this crime film about, you know, the sort of psycholo- psychological impacts of crime, having spent most of the weekend wa- rewatching Heat on the 4K Blu-ray that I bought. So this is a high standard we're comparing it to here. But, um, yeah, guys, like, how... how, how <clears throat> Can I describe what uh, I remember? Uh, be- before, before I do that, I just want to... Sp- create a little context for this movie before you do that. I'm sorry in that this was a very well, many Oscars very well reviewed are um, a, a critic. I respect a lot. AO Scott of the New York times said um, some pretty insane things about this movie of how good it is. Um, I think it was seen at that time as sort of a reflection on, you know, how these, how these sort of g- crimes like spread generations and cause other things and da, 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 da. So Jeremy, I'm sorry for interrupting you. Go ahead, my friend. Well, just to give it a little context. So this is sort of, I would call this my introduction to Eastwood as a director, as we've come to know him. I, I'm taking Unforgiven sort of out of this conversation because Unforgiven is a top 10 film of mine. And I think it's sort of wow. a masterpiece. Um, so we can just put that to the, to the side, but this was like the first time we started seeing this like slow burn, um, dark moody type of filmmaking from Eastwood that you could tell he was just trying to tell the story in front of him 
like in in a no sort of flourishes way which i really responded to back then and i mean i responded to it this time too and and there's something there's something about the way he tells a story in its simplicity that i appreciate it like he you know, he's still got the nice, he's still got the good lighting. He's got, he got the, you know, the big movie stars and he's telling an interesting story and he, that's it. That's sort of all we need. Um, that's all you need as a filmmaker. That's sort of the, the, the vibe I got from Clint Eastwood starting around Mystic River and then continuing forward, um, up until the, the movie started being not so good. Um, so that, that's the context I, that I'm coming from when I used to really appreciate this movie. Yeah, I don't remember for sure, but I would I would put money on the fact that this was my favorite movie of 2003 um, at that time. Um, I know Sean Penn was my favorite performance of that year. We'll talk about the acting later. Um, and I think similarly to Jeremy, like I re- appreciated that Eastwood saw what was in what the most important part of his movie was and focused on that and allowed some of the periphery elements to slip through the cracks for lack of a better term. You know, that opening scene with the kids is like some pretty wooden acting and it's a little awkward to listen to, but you know, they're kids and the performances are like, you get the point across. Like I was, that was always kind of my impression of this movie. I was like, okay, like he looked at that and said like, I'm going to get the information out and I'm going to get my movie rolling. And that's, that was good enough for me. I was forgiving of those things because he focused on the story. And like I said, with like the things that run through his movie story is the most important thing to him. So, um, well, I, I feel like Chapin, you, you kind of feel the same way now if you did then. Um, like a lot of what you're talking about, Lee, the stuff that you you say fell through the cracks became a lot more. Let's say that it became a lot more apparent this time around. The stuff yes. to me that worked originally still works in this version, and I could this, like put this a, version this this viewing of it. <laughs> sorry, and I could probably put a percentage of on it of what I think holds up and what I think just really doesn't um we'll do it what's it what, what would i would say, say i would say it's about i would i would say it's about uh 75 25 75 so, holds up holds up yeah holds up oh my wow. yeah i would say maybe 40 percent at being generous holds up 35 percent maybe i still think the story's good i still think it's intriguing um i think uh, that's true but I think the execution just leaves so much to be desired. I don't know. It's that same sort of charm of the simplicity of just trying to tell that story. And here's the thing. He did, and I, I know we're going to get into this, especially when it can't, comes to Sean Penn, but he did get really good actors to play these these roles that I think otherwise the dialogue does not serve the move. Can we just can let's can we have the acting conversation first? Let's do it. <clears throat> I think Sean Penn's amazing in this movie. Okay, I think he's I think really good. He's incredibly I good. Yeah, I, I, I don't st- know. I think he still is. And but I, I can I think, see. 
I can I see why people. Here's the why, thing. Why is he amazing? Here, here, here's the thing. It's I think the probably the hardest thing you can do as an actor is to play a grieving parent. It just doesn't. There's no way to do it subtly. It doesn't really hold up on screen to to not overact. And I think he he still gets it right. I mean, yes, his facial expressions are a bit over the top, but I don't know how else you do it. This is that's such the, a difficult thing. To play. Can, I, I, I think we can debate is, the is that my daughter in their scene? Like, I think he's good in that. I think that's how like most parents would react. I don't. I, but that's not even the best scene. And and also the the scene when he cries on the porch with Tim Robbins. That's not even the best scene. Again, like, these are the everything things. Else. I think What's people, his best scene? Please, I, I don't every, know if he has one. I think like the whole his whole character creation and the actual like subtlety in his performance is what makes it so good. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, th- those things you just referred to, Lee, are the things people are going to point to saying he's bad in this. Are those the that's my daughter in there, and then the crying on the porch, that, and that, every time that, he... I, I like to be honest, like the the crying on the 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 porch scene, I think is one of the best scenes in the movie. Um, I don't know. I I just like I think he's fine in this. I think he's a good actor. Sean Penn is a very good actor, and he does a serviceable good job in this movie. I do not think he is worthy of the Academy Award by any means. And honestly, I, I used to think the Tim Robbins performance was kind of overblown and, and but i think he i think he's the best performance in the oh movie. my god i don't know what the fuck tim robbins is doing in this movie really? i think he's oh no obnoxious. i did I, I liked him in this movie i, I did not See that, Lee, that's how all. i used to feel that's, that's how, how i feel I, now i don't know I think how he's I, good. I don't remember I think, how i felt i think, I think Kevin Bacon's Bacon's good i think lawrence fishburne's good laura lynn lawrence is fishburne a train is, wreck lawrence what? fishburne is not good Marsha Gay Harden has a good scene on the porch when she admits to thinking that her husband killed Katie. Guys, guys, I think guys, that guys. scene is I, good. I, I think without I, Lee, I know you want to start with performance, and I appreciate that. I gotta say, I think the dialogue in this movie is uh, is atrocious. Uh, these I think people, this is a bad script. It's a really bad script. It's and a good story story and a bad great story. Script. It's a horrible script, and they, but I think these actors help save it. I don't. Uh, I, I don't. think it's impossible. I think, I think it's so bad. I think it's it's just it's it is every line is dripping with exposition and oh wait, did you unnecessary not, just, exposition? Yeah, just to make sure you, you you make sure you heard this, I'm gonna repeat it in a different way. There's a there's a and unnecessary flashbacks. There's a um flashback to the scene that we yeah. just watched. We just saw just to get your wonder. There's a line there's a line where um, or there's a scene where Fishburne and uh, Bacon kind of have this cross up and they're like, oh, you didn't listen to the 911 tape? I thought you did. And so they listen to it and they listen to it a couple times and they're like, oh, we got nothing. And then Kevin Bacon realizes that the two kids say she and they make this connection. And he's like, he said she was there. How did he know? She, uh, Katie Markham's dead in the park. How do they know it's a girl? And Fishburne like steps forward. He's like, play it again. Why? I mean, Why that's just it? one. That's just one but, of a bazillion examples. Exactly, it's one of a bazillion movie. examples of just this but like here's... nonsensical dialogue. The shit, and I fucking hate the shit when they come out of the coffee shop with the stupid Dunkin' Donuts lines. Oh yeah, it's I like... literally turned to Sarah and I was like that might have that that was like supposed to be funny and like uh, whenever this came out twenty it's years ago, so cringeworthy, and it's like. 
And at first you're like, okay, is this a good script with bad dialogue? No, I think this is a bad script. I think it's yeah, really it bad. Is. It is. The scenes, I think it's, I, but every... here's my argument is that I think like what I initially felt about Clint Eastwood and his storytelling ability push you past all that stuff to the point where you're still just, it becomes a, I mean, it becomes a bit like, I don't want to say Shakespearean, but there is this like bigger worldly thing happening amongst all these characters that are friends and family and there's murder and like all that stuff. And if you just keep pushing forward, you, you eventually follow that thread and that thread is interesting. I think that's right to a certain extent because I watched this movie maybe I want to let's just say for argument's sake a year ago and I was like and that had that was the first time I'd watched it in maybe like 10 years and I was just like what the fuck is going on with this movie and so I was excited to watch it again and do this pod because I was like I need I need to dig into this and I found I, I found myself in the first half of this movie like with the, my eyes stuck in the back of my head with just like how bad some of the exposition was, the lines of dialogue, some of the acting. I was like, this this is just this is I don't I don't want to say it was awful because there is enough that's engaging and interesting enough about it. By the end, I was kind of with you, Jeremy. I was just like, this gets there, like it's. It's a solid enough movie where you're like, I want to see how it ends. I'm connected with these characters. But the broader stuff, or I guess the more specific stuff, like on the periphery, like the more the the additional themes in this movie, I don't think work at all. I think no. the connection with Tim Robbins' character and what happens when he's a kid, like and I don't think any of that works. And I can see you can see it on the page of the book. Well, that right? doesn't you can see that doesn't bother me. You um, you can see all that stuff. Did you read the book in the novel? I didn't, but you can see how all that stuff works in the <laughs> novel. And then like the same with like honestly like Laura Linney's character, like her like insane speech at the end where she's super turned on that John Penn killed his yeah. friend. Insane, like, insane. Can, that like you can see how like some of this stuff might work in the book and like Kevin Bacon's wife, his story, like that's, you know, chapters in the book. I don't know. I just, you can see oh God, the novel yeah. here. So all that stuff doesn't work, but Jeremy, the procedural, the who done it, that, that works. I think I, it's fine, <clears throat> but every scene with Lawrence Fishburne and Kevin Bacon is a fucking episode of law and order. Like it's literally, it's walking. I disagree. Like, I disagree with you about the, does it work? The the the, so. the solution spoiler spoiler alert of this epic generational spanning movie is that some kid was playing a prank and yeah that doesn't work killed and the, also killed killed there's, his there's another no, no, really wait, 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 fatal like, like, flaw about that like like this 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 movie wants us to look at how these events awful events happen to these poor people and they kind of like one begets the other right like but, these but, these generational things and then it's sort of this random crime at the end of it like well okay i guess and 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 the sort of connection to the connection to um jimmy is interesting he he killed their father the kid didn't know that it wasn't like revenge for the father. It was just sort of yeah. this random. It was like well, what, what, what would have worked 
honestly, was that he did it on purpose to keep his brother from leaving going to Vegas. And that's what I always thought was the thing, but then I just watched it and it it feels like it's not, that wasn't the answer. But that's my, that's exactly my point, Chapin, is that that stuff, the familial stuff, the like history, like all that stuff to me doesn't work. And those are all flaws in the script. They try to introduce all of this like deeper elements. So what does work for you? I just think the chase, the the whodunit, like that's also interestingly enough. Interesting enough. This is where I disagree. I think that the thing about Tim Robbins' character being abused as a kid is is integral to this story, and the fact that there's these three friends that they, are they the try center. to make it integral, but is it really integral? Is it integral I think to the, so. the murder that so. we're talking about? That the, the main yes, story because point here? it becomes a makes him a suspect and it gets to a gets us to the point where one has to kill the other without I that think that's we don't the, get i gotta there. be honest i think that's the worst part of the screenplay is when they're like we're talking about this murder but then oh here's how it connects in dialogue yeah to... at the end when he when kevin bacon's just like oh but they I'm found not somebody I'm behind about the gills getting to the, the only bar the, in boston the point no, where like, sean he's... penn has to has to make a decision to kill um tim robbins that is interesting and it works to get him there fine i think i don't know that the abuse has anything to do with that i mean it does i think it does because he's not a suspect otherwise to be to be prescriptive again i i I imagine this is how it's written in the book but like what if the story all along that tim robbins tells his wife is that he caught a child molester and beat the shit out of him beat him to death like now we have that that well that makes it less interesting it makes it less interesting because less mysterious, we, I guess. We as an audience don't have the question because now we believe this whole, sure. Yeah, this whole thing he's lying, he's making up new things every time. So in the back of your head is like, well, did he do it? And I, I think all that works, and I do really appreciate their their sort of connection within this neighborhood and growing up enough that I think it's it's satisfying to get to the ending we got to between these three guys, which are the most impor- important thing. Well, it's impossible if anyone were to argue with you about like the Kevin Bacon wife thing or especially yeah. the Laura Linney thing. Like it just, it makes no sense. Um, well, I remember there was a theory and this goes back to 2003 that like Laura Linney's character, Annabeth, like set up the murder of Katie because she wanted her own like nuclear family because Katie (laughs) and I'm like, this movie's not good enough for those kind of theories. (laughs) Um, But there's this like very kind of like overlooked, I don't want to say fatal flaw, but flaw in the storytelling of this. So at the beginning, well, well, there's a couple, um, another one I can give you after at the beginning of the movie, when Sean Penn, Jimmy Markham's at his store, um, with the other guy who works there, who I, that other kid, whoever that is, I thought was really good. <laughs> it was clearly a Bostonian, but yeah, like he's that. like, "Why do you hate? Why do you hate uh, Brendan Harris so much?" And then, you know, the cops ask him the same thing, and he's just like, "You know, his father, Jess Ray, we called him Jess Ray. I didn't, I just didn't like him." And he's like very sincere that he didn't like him. Now, what we end up learning is that when he's about to kill Dave Boyle, that despite having put him, ratting him out, he visited, uh, Ray Harris visited Sean Penn in prison. He also, after killing him, sent $500 a month to his family. 
why? Well, that's not even that he big hate, of a flaw. It is because you have this whole scenario of this like Markham Harris family feud well, that it's is a feud now because supposedly he kept, he, integral to <clears throat> well, once he killed them, it became a feud. Right, but th- but this is the thing is that like we hear one thing that he didn't like him, then we hear another thing that he's like supporting his family and he visited him I in just, prison. I and, just like, took that as guilt. I don't understand how we're supposed to feel about their relationship when everything in the end comes down to those two families feuding and now Ray Harris's son kills his daughter. Like these are all like the, these are script issues where like it's couldn't make up its mind about like what You're is right. this movie it did, actually about? It did like make me pause at that moment and be like, why, why were the, but it really didn't bother me that much. One thing that did bother me is, and maybe I just missed it and you guys are like, well, you idiot. Um, was why, uh, why Kevin Bacon and, um, Lawrence Fishburne showed up at the kid's house at the same, at that time. Like, yeah. well, what they, did they, well, no they figured it out. No, they, they didn't. They out. just knew there were kids, but they didn't know. Who I know. It but was I think, or, but they, they were focusing on the gun and they knew that the gun belonged to Ray Harris. So I, th- I mean, it is convenient, but I, I also think it's not totally far fetched. That one bothered me. Um, this is such a bad script. It's, I think it's a really bad script. And I also think that there's, while the storytelling is fine and Eastwood is typically good at this stuff, like there's some sloppy stuff in this movie. And just one example, the the scene that, I don't know, maybe we can spend some more time talking about this because I don't totally understand it. But when Dave, Tim Robbins is like really going off the deep end and he's like at home watching this movie about vampires. But I think that all goes back like, to his abuse. Like I, I do too, and that's fine. But it's clearly daytime outside. Like he stands by the window and it's date, and I'm like, this is just sloppy. And I'm like, why, how, like why is stuff like this happening in this movie? And these are forgivable things if there's not so many other flaws. And that's what I that was, I think that was like the difference between my opinion then and now. It was like I forgave all these things, especially first viewing because you're so engaged in what's happening. But the more times you see it, the more time that goes by, and the more that these flaws add up, the more important they all are. So, like, I mean, I didn't find daytime that to... <laughs> outside the window when you're shooting a scene that's supposed to take place in the middle of the night, big deal. But when that's like number ninety nine of, you know, a hundred issues that are piling up, now it becomes noticeable and a problem. And I think that's. I think that is ultimately the biggest issue with this movie. I mean, it's hard. It's it's hard to argue with all those things. Um, like I said, though, I think that uh, Eastwood's direction and his ultra focus on get just telling the story saved it for me and the performances. I like Sean Penn. I like Kevin I, Bacon. I, I like Tim I, Robbins in this. I don't think it's well directed. I didn't it's, say it was well it's, directed. It's overwrought. I, it's. I don't think it's it, well directed. It's sort of. Um, I think I, I, like I, I think. I think the performances are inhibited by, a, a, a bad script and, in, in time, you know, like, I think a better director would come in and say, "Well, why don't you improvise that, or why don't we spend." I, 
uh, um, six weeks rewriting this script, do a dialogue pass, something. I, I honestly think oh. like all of these performances are like, are, are so, I don't know. They're just, it's like, it's sort of, this movie is sort of like what would happen if the departed went all wrong. Like you've got all these big dick actors coming in and doing Boston accents. And one of my questions for you guys is who has the worst Boston accent? Lord. Um, well, let's, let's wait. <laughs> oh, there's and a natural answer to this. Let's wait, please. And then you just you asked know, it. And you know, like trying to act like they're all working class people. And, um, this is this is what happens. Like this is this is the result is is this movie and it's I I think it's I think it is I think this movie is not good and I think it's because of the script. So I don't think I was just about to say I don't think this movie is not good. This but it's not good. Does that make any sense? Like it this totally is, makes sense. It's like, almost exactly what I'm saying. And like, like, I don't understand <laughs> that at all. My my point is like it's not a bad movie, essentially. But in totality, the viewing experience was I, I found some good things from it and I enjoyed the the story. Do I think it was well directed? No. Do I, uh, I think there was a good screenplay? Absolutely not. Was there too much added stuff that made no sense? Yes. Was there a lot of bad acting and wooden dialogue? Yes. So, I think there's I think a a well directed movie will never have a line that says Hitler's mother wanted to abort it. Oh man, that was so bad. I like, like rolled my eyes so any, hard at that. Any director like will cut that line. Like it's just, and there's so much of this shit. Like I wrote them all sorry, down. Which line say it against? I'm sorry. Hitler's mother wanted it, abo- wanted to abort it. And then it. afterwards he'd go, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like it's this, <laughs> and then like, it goes oh. into this whole story about how like, you know, if he had gotten put into, and it's like supposed to be this like, pivotal moment about like you know sliding doors in their lives he's like if i had gotten to the into the car instead of dave i would have been a basket case i never would have had the stones to go and talk to my my ex-wife and then katie never would have been born and she never would have been murdered is yeah. are we trying to sum up the story here with this hitler want, mother wanted to abort him line give me a fucking break like and there's so much of this like can we never ever say Again, in a movie, and I don't know a mo- another movie that it's been set in, but I'm sure it has, that he's a mugger. He's not going to go to the hospital. What? Muggers aren't going to go to the hospital if they've been beaten to death? Like, this stuff is so bad. And, like, a good director, or I don't want to say Clint's not a good director, but a well-directed movie is going to fix this stuff. That's and- true, but, I, but, you, can you, but you can imagine how... You know, he gets this script. He's like, ah, oh. I can see Clint being just like, yeah, I'm, I don't want to do rewrites. And he just wants to go, 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 go. Right. And you get the script and you're like, you know what? This is pretty tight. Like the dialogue's not great, but you know, we'll fix that. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. You we'll know, the performances, <laughs> the performances. Well, but you know, it's, it's a great story, but it's, it's just, it's just, it's just not, it's just not a good script. It's a bad script. It's, so suggestive and the fact that they always go back to that car ride it's it's like they're ham-fisting it in oh and totally they have that when they when the savage brothers pick up tim robbins 
at the end, the guy even turns around and they connect it and you have that same shot. I'm like, these two things don't have anything to do with each other. No, no. I'm like, stop it. Um, we, we glossed over the whole like Law and Order episodes with every, in every scene with so, Kevin Bacon so, and Lawrence So Fishburne. bad. So bad. There's the scene there. And, and he's I like, they like trying to make this. jokes. He's like, he's like, and, they, and then he got out of jail and developed quite the chemical dependency. And then, and then, and then Kevin Bacon's like, yeah, it's all. He got a great, I bet he got a good, uh, good legal job, you know, to, to support his yeah. dependency. Yeah. It's all walk and talks. It's all exposition. And the scene when they, when Kev, Kevin Bacon and Lawrence Fishman pull up in their car at Dave Boyle's house and get out and they're like, Hey, we wanted to talk to you. And he's just like, Oh, I got to walk my son to school. Can I talk to you? And it's like, Oh, we'll walk with you. They walk down the block. They talk to him, drops his son off at school. And then Tim Robbins is like, all right, I got to go. And he walks back home. I was like, okay, well, their car is back there. <laughs> No, they had to get that. Co- they had to. They they had to, well, they had to go dro- get their that yeah. fancy coffee. Well, yeah. he he lives in East Boston, but he had to drop his kid off in school in Charlestown, and then had to go to uh, Roxbury to get a coffee. Yeah. So well, Lee, that's, l- put the but, geography together. Come on, like we'll do a location corner for Jeremy because I know he's got a lot to unload. But let's. I hope it's not all that because we know better that they don't all need to connect. But, um. Yeah, so much of the stuff. Here's something that really drove me nuts. And Chapin, this is something you always criticize me of. Like, this is such a nitpick that, like, I will let bother me. They say a hundred times in this movie that Katie Markham is 19 years old. And also that she was drinking at McGill's and they were bar hopping and four other bars. Well, that was back in the day that people could underage drink. I don't... The cell phones... A year year before we started to do it. But... Could you go to? They said they went to four different places. Could you that, go to four different places at night? Also, and drink? but but more egregiously, they just they just walk in and immediately get on the bar to start having yeah. a dance. We I've been to a lot of bars. Like, I've never seen that happen. There would never One, happen. Be a, in there'd be a, Irish an hour line in. to get in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't yeah. be how many how many times bar. how often do do, do four nineteen year old girls go to McGill's? <laughs> and dance on the bar, but while everybody, they, a bunch of was, old guys are yeah. watching the Red they, they, Sox. They, they take, take one shot and they get on, and then it's like, oh, <laughs> it's the playoffs in 2003. Fuck, and then and then uh, they get on the bar and dance, and, this, and everybody's just like looking at them, like, oh, yeah, yeah. I can kind of see up that, Ain't that Jimmy Mockham's girl? Is it, I can see her. I will say, with some certain exceptions, I think. The the peripheral Boston of this movie is pretty well done. Like, there is a feel of Boston in this movie. I think the Savage Brothers are all pretty good. Um, well, I, I mean, Bobby Wahlberg doesn't even have a line, but the other two are pretty good. You know, like I said, the kid that works at, the, at, at Jimmy's convenience store is really good. I hate the scene um, when... Laura Linney's father comes and talks about how like you have like domestic responsibilities, but when he comes in and he's like, you got a couple of coolers. I'm like, this is very authentic. Yeah. I think I mean, that stuff did works help. pretty well. It was apparently supposed to be filmed in Toronto. And yeah, I read that too. So and, it's like, it definitely helped to have well, this, this Boston that still existed back then too. And that supposedly was the other Eastwood thing. insisted that they shoot it in Boston. 
Didn't well, insist on a script rewrite, but <laughs> it needed to be in Boston. Um, but uh, yeah, you know. On the flip was... side, I hate all the shit, like the very opening scene where the two guys are like talking about the Red Sox and stuff, and I hate the fucking Dunkin' Donuts lines, and like, I think that stuff is so like thin. It, it, it like, feels so fake. It feels like it feels oh God, fake. Yeah. Let me let me Wikipedia. What's big in Boston? Oh, Dunkin' Donuts. It's like as if uh, I'm, I'm ashamed like to... if Troy Duffy wrote the screen. No, I, I'm ashamed to admit this. And Jeremy, you may not even remember this. Um, but our our first work together, I know you know the film. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant little film called On a Good Note. Mm-hmm. Um, opens with two characters. Mm-hmm. You guys always had great. You guys always had great titles. Sitting on a sitting on a park bench. Um, and you know, they they end up discussing, you know, kind of the issues going on in their lives, but the scene opens, they're both drinking Dunkin' Donuts coffee and it's all we could afford. We couldn't afford Starbucks. One of them complains about how they got his coffee wrong. Cause you know, at Dunkin' Donuts, unlike every other coffee shop in the world, you like, you ask for cream or sugar and they make it for you. You don't do that yourself. So one of the characters complains. He's like, oh, you know, I always ask for cream and sugar. They always mess it up. And then the other character is just like, oh, I bring my own cream and my own sugar or whatever, and I take care of it myself. That's what that fucking scene is in this movie yeah, when they and, come uh, out of that coffee shop. And behind, little did we know, standing behind us was Dennis Lehane taking notes. Yeah, seriously. He was just like, oh. No, there's no way that's it. in the fucking book. That's Brian Hegeland. Like, that's that's a... That's the screenplay line where they're like, we got to get some Bostonian infused in here. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, it was very hard for me to get past the the dialogue and the screenplay in this movie. Like, the stuff I liked about it, I still think I like, but I, I couldn't get past. And I think Tim Robbins is... I. I don't I like know that he's bad. Of... I just don't know what he's doing. I think I, I don't think any, I don't think any of the performances in this movie are uh, Oscar worthy. Um, I Jeremy, think Sean Penn is excellent. You... I don't. Well, I could. I, yeah. Jeremy, what did you think that we would think about this movie? Oh, yeah, um, I this. thought. Yeah, I thought Chapin was going to continue to hate it. Lee, I didn't know if he was which way he was going to go, but I said I, he's I more did... sensible in his old age. Yeah, I did say he's probably going to hate it and that I would probably like it the most. So I was correct about that. I was pretty um, good on I, I I think I think I nailed for the most part what Jeremy would think. I said um appreciates the structure, agrees with the flaws, but is less bothered by them. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Good job. And Chapin, I I went pretty I, I sort of went like typecast on Chapin. I just said non committal on his opinion, but ultimately underwhelmed. No, he, no I, was, he, I was committal. He was yeah, he was committal. Really. He hated it. Okay. Um I got some categories I want to go through. We haven't done this in a little bit. Quickly, quickly, Lee. Um we got plenty of time. Uh, m- most importantly I want to go to Jeremy's location corner because and, and there's a couple others I want to do, but I read Jeremy that the uh, Looney Looney's Liquors um, yep. in the scene starring Eli Wallach, um, which uh, I forget what the name of the bar was called, but doesn't matter, um, was also used in Black Mass. Did you scout that? Yeah, uh, that was Al's that liquor liquors. Store? It's Al's Liquors in the um, in in South Boston. No, that's not what it's called. It's closed now. What is the one, well the one we use for black masses, Al's. What are no, they? So what is, are they saying? 
Well, so they said that this was, um, let's see, uh, where is it? I'm guessing they probably um, got it wrong. I mean, that's INDB got it. No, this, this is, yeah. this is, uh, all the facts. Dead air, dead air, dead air. Come on, come on, come on. You're about to, we're about to do trivia. That's going to be all dead air. It's not. Um, anyway, Jeremy, Phil, yeah. I know you had a lot of thoughts yeah. on locations. Um, well, that bar. Oh, the I'm bar, sorry. The, yeah. I'm sorry. You might you might be right, but Jimmy Markham's storefront was used in Black Mass. Yeah, that's also in South Boston. So they're in East Boston in this movie. Yeah, they live in East Boston um, because you can see you just kind of references the Tobin Bridge over and over again. That's the view of it. Um, you can see uh, on East, like so where the the bar at the end of the movie that's right on the Mystic River. There, that is on the Mystic River, but that bar never existed they actually built that for this i want to say that shot when tim robbins looks up at them when he's out puking he looks up at the four the savage brothers and and markham on the stairs that is a beautiful shot like (laughs) yeah and that was all that was all built but that warehouse next to him that says mystic something that that's still there i believe we filmed so when they tore it down we filmed that in the middle there it was just grass field for black mass where whitey bulger kills somebody surprise surprise but now it's all just brand new condos so can't do that anymore oh ruin everything yeah she fell funny <laughs> <laughs> okay you guys ready for trivia let's do it um i got more categories Jeez. we got time i think this movie is very appropriate for categories Okay, come on. Best acting moment. Oof. To me, it's the, the porch scene. When he's crying? I think it's the two of them. I think the best I think it's the best acting moment is when Sean Penn and Marsha Gay Harden are talking on the front porch and she's and she says that she thinks that Dave killed Katie. She, uh, she's pretty good in this. Yeah, she's pretty good. I Actually, I like that answer, Lee, but I'll just give you a different one just for shits and giggles. It's actually the scene where uh, Sean Penn responds to that asinine comment from Laura Linney's dad. Um, oh, that is good, yeah. He's just really, really he's good in that pissed, scene. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, Chapin. I think Sean Penn is very good in this movie. I don't. I don't. Um, worst acting moment. Ooh, it's gotta be it's gotta be Laura Linney with that speech. It's just so I I almost couldn't watch it. But is that a, is that an acting moment or is that a script issue? I, whatever it is, it's I mean just... it might it probably involves Laura Linney. It could just be she knows shows for work. She know what does she know shows for church? Yeah, it's a, I mean I know obviously the kids are really bad at the beginning too, I, but I that's so that, quick. Though. Um, I don't know. There's some bad. I think there's some. I think that scene when. Tim Robbins is talking about vampires is pretty bad. It's such a badly written part. It's uh, okay. You ready um, for the? Right. So I, Chapin's grumpy because we're not moving on, but I want to know what Chapin's grumpy about. This is everybody's favorite segment. Tough, tough day at work today. Was it? Yeah. What are you guys working on these days? I'm working on a very, it's always interestingly enough. It's always the small, low budget projects that get the most, um, notes and annoy me the most. Okay. <laughs> Two more categories. 
that I think are nice for this movie. One is, is there a cinematically, is it, what's the cinematic jerk off moment in this movie? Um, I don't know. I mean, can this, can this be, can this be one we, we don't necessarily like, but still cinematic jerk off? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, is that my daughter in there is the most sort of, I mean, that's emotional for sure. Yeah. Oh, can I, I just add to that that those uh, that those bear bear things are real? They built yeah, what these is, like so what bear is traps at um, at Franklin Park Zoo, and uh, I I don't know. They did it. It's for just like, a closed zoo. No, but the Franklin zoo, Park Zoo is still open. Yeah, it's still open, but those are just like empty, empty traps i don't know why like they i maybe years and years ago they were going to put bears in them for part of the zoo and they never did but anyhow um like i said i think that i think that that shot kind of the moments before sean penn like has this speech before he kills dave boyle i think is really good i think that speech sort of ruins it like it's just like so exposition loaded and i don't know but i love that shot I love that setup, but I don't know. I, I have no issues with the, is that my daughter in there scene? Like, what did you guys think watching this movie being a parent now? Well, I, that's why is it hard I made that. Yeah. It's that's tough, why I made right? that comment yeah. about like, I don't think like it's, it's gotta be the hardest thing to do on a film is to act like, uh, you lost a child. Like it's just... like, I, it hit me that moment. Not necessarily that is that my daughter scene in there? Like it, it's, played up but like when he sees his daughter's car and he says that's my daughter's car yeah like that that's that a pretty gutting you just, you scene. just, you just like, know what's coming yeah yeah and it's tough and like you know obviously like our opinions on this have changed the movie have changed and obviously our our life circumstances have changed but i think well we first thought oh amy rossum is so hot <laughs> <laughs> she was only 16 when they filmed this movie so, so you have FBI has that right? Uh, it's been recorded. Finally, Chapin. Then we'll move on to your trivia. We got plenty. There's no. Go we ahead, don't have, Lee. We don't have any Patreon people ahead, telling us ahead. how long these need to be. Who do you like to have a drink or meal with from this movie? Hmm. This is interesting. I think. You know who I liked in this, and I probably you know, we didn't mention him, but um. And I don't know if this would be my answer for this, but the uh, the kid that played uh, the Harris son that loved oh Tom Gr- uh, from Smalls, you mean? Yeah, he was so good in. Yeah, this. we haven't talked about him at all. He's he pretty might good that in this. you know what I might change my best acting moment to to him confront, confronting his brother or oh, yeah. the initial I mean, time a he got horribly written scene. Also, yeah, we almost who shot do you. you, who, you... Do you who do you love? Who do you hate? I think God. he's really he's really good. So. What an interesting career he's had. So he Black never Hawk really, Down. never really like made it. But he's in Sandlot. Black Hawk Down Sandlot. in the Sandlot. He's in Tigerland, um, and he's in this. And I, you know, he's had plenty of other. He's had forty six acting credits. All right, all right. Um, Come on, we gotta move on, Lee. Come on, Chapin. What is your fucking hurry? You got a date? Oh, there, well, there he goes, dating granddad. <laughs> I would but, actually say though my answer would have to be Sean Penn. He's just so interesting in it. Oh my! I God. think so too, probably. Um, Chapin. 
You have an answer? Uh, all right, we can move on to your trivia, for fuck's sake. What, what was the question? No, it doesn't matter. Wow. You lost a chance. Yeah. All right. Okay. Move on to the trivia, trivia that I'm going to win. I, right, and the, which is why I'm going to give the advantage to Jeremy right now. Why? Why, why is he going to win it? I won the last one against Chapin. So that's I, I want to inform that's a, the that's a embarrassing Chapin. It was very embarrassing. I want to inform the the listeners that we have been competing on framed.wtf every morning to see who can get the best score. We encourage you to participate with us. Um, but. Uh, I am in the lead, but Jeremy, you're doing very well. You surprised well, me. Well, you guys are tied morning. this week. Yeah, we're tied this week. Dead heat. And I'm only one behind. <clears throat> so I'm 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 going to give Jeremy the uh, advantage here because I know he didn't do the research that Lee did. I didn't do much. So, so I have a lot of questions here. Um, right. Jer- Jeremy, we're going to start yeah. right now. Lee, Lee are do you we going to be talking about? Do you, do you uh, mind Clint keeping scores, please? Born sure. May thirty first, nineteen thirty. I was going to do this same thing. <laughs> Lee, can you keep track of the scores, please? Yep, I'm on it. Okay. This first one is worth two points. Okay. Jeremy, what is the first film directed by Clint Eastwood? Ever? Ever. Uh, fuck. I would, I'm going to have to... I, it's going to be wrong, but I ha, uh, have to guess Unforgiven. But I know that's not right. That's totally, totally, totally wrong. And I feel like... Uh, Lee? Um, I looked this up. Uh, and now of course I forget. Oh wow, I'm about twenty um, years off. Play Misty for me. That's correct. Two points to Lee. This is, gone. Which this I've is never not going to go well. Which I've never seen. Lee, Clint has won four Academy Awards. Yep, he's been nominated are... for seven. Are you looking at your notes or what are no. you doing? No, okay. I did research. How name the four Oscars that Clint has won? Two best yeah. directors, Unforgiven, Million Dollar worth... Baby. Best picture, Unforgiven, Million Dollar Baby. That's correct. That was worth four points. You told us not to prepare for this. I did. I did. I had already prepared. <laughs> but Jeremy. also, that's not hard. That one's easy. No, these are the that. easy rounds. Jeremy, oh, Clint has been nominated for one acting nomination. What are you looking at when you're looking at this right now? Uh, I'm looking at trying to catch up. <laughs> Clint has been nominated for one acting Oscar. Name oh, it, please. Yeah. Uh, was it? Was I'm just gonna get guess Unforgiven every time. That's correct. Oh, I was gonna guess Million Dollar Baby. Two points. Woo! Does Jeremy just forget? Goes Unforgiven every time. He yeah. might get like ten points out of that. Lee, what yep. is the highest gross, gross, grossing film? Clint Ooh. has directed internationally. Mm. We're going international numbers. Um, I'm going to say Million Dollar Baby. That is incorrect, Jeremy, to you. This is for three points. It's not going to... I'm going to have to go later. I, I you know what? Oscar would help it. The one I'm going to go for is actually recent. I'm going to go American Sniper. That's oh, correct. Shit. God points. damn it. I should have got that. People like that movie. <clears throat> That was that's a yeah. God damn it! I thought the best picture Oscar was gonna help Million Dollar okay, Baby. Th- thanks, but... Lee, with your commentary. Okay, so what, as we what know, is Chapin? What is your fucking hurry? Unforgiven was nominated for many Oscars. What was the first Clint directed movie after Unforgiven to be nominated for best picture? Ooh, um, who's up? 
I am. Uh, Lee. Um. So. Flags of Our Fathers. That's incorrect. Jeremy? I mean, was it the one we just watched, Mystic River? That's correct. Four <sighs> points. Three how points. Many po- how many? Three? Three, yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, so this is to Jeremy? Yeah. What was the last Clint Eastwood-directed film that was nominated for Best Picture? Invictus? Incorrect. Lee? American Sniper. That's correct. Three ah. points. Okay. What's the score? What do we got? It's very we close. Be... Uh, it's nine to eight. I'm winning nine to eight. I feel like I got more right than you. Okay. Sorry. I have a mistake here. Okay. So, um, whose turn is it? Mine. Lee, name the highest uh, grossing Clint Eastwood film in the box office. Didn't you do that? You did that. Did I? Yeah, yeah we American already did Sniper. that. Jeremy got it. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So the Minus question points is to, for you, Chapin. The, the question to you, Lee, is name four others. You get two points for each. You have four guesses. Wait, so it's top Jeremy. four all time, not American Sniper. It's top five. Top five. Okay. Okay. So the other. So okay, you, the other. Four. You know, you know, American Sniper. The uh, the top, the the four subsequent ones. Um. All right. I'm gonna say Million Dollar Baby. I'm gonna say Sully. Um. I'm gonna say. Hmm. Two more guesses. Um, I don't think that Gran Torino. I don't think did well, did that well. Um, Invictus, okay, and and Unforgiven. Okay. Jeremy? Um, I do think Gran Torino did well, so I'll I'll put that as one. I okay. will put. The two, I'll put letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers. Okay. And, um, yeah, I'll do Million Dollar Baby. Okay. You both tied with four. So, oh, interesting. Read the top five. Uh, so we have American uh, American Sniper, Gran Torino, Sully, Million Dollar Baby, and Bridges of Madison County. Oh, wow. That was way back. So it's that, that's tricky. Because I think that's a very interesting question because I don't think that Eastwood's directed movies are typically like box office draws. But you then also have to consider like when the box office was booming. Right. Right. So that's it's tricky. Um, so okay. what do we do? What do we get? Each get a point or just leave it as a watch? Each got two points, he said. Yeah, you each got eight. We each got eight points. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave it as a watch. So this is this question is for both of you, okay? Mm-hmm. So, um, how many films has Clint directed since the year two thousand? So that includes the year two thousand. The closest person to it will win five points. Whoever wants to go first can go. 
since 2000, it's 2023. Including the year, so including the year 2000. So he does almost. I'm say does almost one a year. 22. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 16. Ooh. <laughs> it's like right in the middle. Sorry, what did you say, Jeremy? 16. And Lisa, 22. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Jeremy wins. It was 18. Oh, oh. I, almost, I almost said 19, too, but I was like, I, I feel like with the amount that he's done two a year, I thought I had it. Um. Also, we tied. Oh, no, it's 18, you said? Shit. So how many points does Jeremy get? Uh, five I think that's a, that's a five-pointer. <laughs> he's just... Just no, I have it all point. laid out. I have it all laid out here. Five. Okay. Okay. Keep going. Since Unforgiven, Clint has had five years where he has released two movies in one year. The old Spielberg question. Name these films and the years. You get three points each. Holy crap. Wait, how many again? How many years? There has had five years where he's released two movies. Who goes so we first? we have to name ten films each. No, you you get you get three points for each year that you name the two films. Oh, it's the year, not the films. Okay. Mm-mm. Who goes first here? No, you oh, also yeah. have to name the films. Who goes first? Uh, who had the last one first? I mean, we we both went. Yeah. I'm gonna give okay. the advantage to Jeremy. All right. Um, you can guess one right now, then I'll give it to Lee. Okay. I feel like I feel like. The what, what if I get the year right, or do I have to say the actual year or just like the year of? You got to say the year and the films. Oh God! All right. Well, I don't remember which year everything was. Like, can I say cha- changeling year? Okay, and um, uh, uh, changeling year with um, I don't know. Gran Torino. Can I guess the year of that? Hold, stand by, stand by. I didn't get that. Sorry, what did you say? Changeling, whatever year Changeling came out with. Okay, and... you are correct, Jeremy. You are correct, but you need to name the year. Wow, um, that's crazy, Chapin. This is worth, um. I get zero points three if I don't name you get three the year. Points for each one. All right, two two thousand and ten. That's incorrect. This is this is so tough. I'm a changing Grand Torino. I'm gonna say two thousand seven. That's incorrect. Two thousand six. Incorrect. You can't just keep there's, guessing. Two thousand eight then. Um. All right, so we have we have four other years where he released two films. Yep. Chapin, is that correct? All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to say, let's see. Um, uh, the letters that you would, the the war movies, those were, those were like consecutive years. Um, but I think, I feel like he made other movies that year. Those years, I mean. Um, but maybe not. Those might have been... 
All right, I'm going to just do, I'm going to say Flags of Our Fathers and Letters of Iwo Jima 2000. So that would have been after Mystic River. That would have been before, I don't know, 2006. That's correct. Oh, really? Lovely. Shit. Absolutely. <laughs> Give yourself um, three points. Back to Jeremy. Yeah, I'm not going to get any more of these. I was sure those. I was sure that was... That was going to be, my guess was going to be, um, be what Lee just said, but I wasn't going to get the year. I, I knew. Give, give was, a guess. You might as well give a guess. Um, okay. Um, uh, I have one more thought, but I don't know what year it was. The Mule and Richard Jewell. 2000. Oh, inc- 2000. Incorrect. And- 17. Okay, great. All right. Late. I think the Mule in 1517 to Paris were the same year. But I do not know what year it was. Um, 2018. <sighs> 2018? Three points, Lee. Well That's done. Bullshit. Really? Jeremy, oh I'll give God. you a chance to... You've got... There's uh, two or three more. Uh, Jeremy, I'll give you... A, well, okay. No, I won't give you a chance for that. Are they earlier than Unforgiven? Or you said it was after Unforgiven. Since Unforgiven. Okay. Ah. I'm gonna give Jer- I'm gonna give Jeremy a big hint. Okay. okay. Jeremy, I'm gonna give you the year. It's 2014. You gotta okay. name the two films for three. So points. that's recently. Yeah. You gotta name the well, two films in 2014 for three points. Uh, there's no way I get this. All right. Um, American Sniper and Sully. Incorrect. Jersey Boys. You were close. Okay. Oh, I was never going to get Jersey Boys. Jersey Boys. <laughs> what the fuck's Jersey Boys? Gentlemen, there are four... This is a close game. There are four sequels to Clint, Clint's iconic turn as Harry Callahan in the Dirty Harry movies. Name each of these sequels for two points each. Whose turn is it? Uh, I think it's my turn to go first, but... Go for it, because I don't know um, I get any of these. Well, I know Sudden Impact. Okay. Um, I don't think I'm going to get any others. I don't. I have no idea. Give up? Yeah, I'm not getting... That's the only one I know. Okay, so that's worth two points. Now, Lee um, or Jeremy, you can double your points by telling me which of those four sequels Clint Eastwood directed. But well, I don't, don't know, know the names. We of don't them. know what they are. I mean, I, I'll guess Sudden Impact. Because that's the only one I just heard. Okay. The, f- Jeremy, the fourth one. You get two, and Lee gets two. Why? It is Sudden Impact? Because it was Sudden Impact. <laughs> that's awesome. That was sort what of, are the other two, ones? That was sort of an alley-oop. Met- Magnum Force, The Enforcer, Sudden Impact, and Dead The Deadpool. Magnum Force. Deadpool? Oh, Deadpool. He did it first? He did Deadpool? <laughs> Deadpool's him. a Deadpool's a dirty Harry movie? <laughs> okay. Uh who's Alright, so it is it is it's seventeen to fifteen. Jeremy's up first here. Okay. Jeremy. Yeah. Which Clint directed film has the highest Metacritic score? It's gotta take be unforgiven. It's gotta be unforgiven. Wait, directed or right? Directed. 
the way you're saying take your time makes me think it's not that. So I'll go flags of our fathers. Okay. That's incorrect. Lee? I mean, how is it not unforgiven? Um, uh, Bridges of Madison County? Incorrect. Letters from Iwo Jima. Oh, I was one Those off. movies sucked. I was one Bye-bye. off. What are the scores? Okay. What are the meta scores? Oh, I, that, that one's up there. Um, uh, okay. Letters of Iwo Jima has 89 and Unforgiven 85. That's that's insane. That is insane. <laughs> uh, Lee, is it your turn? Yeah. Yeah. Which Clint-directed film was called The Best of the Year by Cahe du Cinema. Cahe du Cinema. Cahiers du Cinema. It's a big film publication in France. That was called The Best of the Year? Correct. Hmm. I mean, I wonder if it was recent. I feel like it was recent, and it's going to be like a ridiculous movie. Um, Cry Macho. Incorrect. Jeremy? I don't know why I'm saying this, but there's like a little part of me that sort of remembers. Uh, and it, I could be wrong, but I'm going to say Gran Torino. Incorrect. It's a perfect world. Oh, I don't even know what that movie is. Can I tell okay, you guys. what what I think is probably Eastwood's second best directed movie? What? And I saw it relatively recently again, and it, it stands up. Is Changeling. I don't know why that movie is so underappreciated. Okay. Perfect World's interesting. I've never even really heard of it, but it's got Kevin it's Costner. Good. It's really good. Guys, okay, this is the final question, okay? What's All right, the I'm by This two. is the real quiz. So three-point okay, three, question. This is the three points. You get three points per movie, okay? Oh, wow. Clint has worked with two of the main actors in Mystic River on, a diff- on different occasions. Name the actor and the movie. Oh, two uh, two actors. At least two. Mm-hmm. But this is the main. This is the main. Um, the main group. So I know one of them for sure. I think it's Jeremy's turn, though, right? Okay, sure. But he won't so, get. He won't get this one. Well, I know um, the liquor store owner is. Uh, no, 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 no! Not Eli Wallach. That doesn't count. The main oh. characters. He's worked with them on that he directed just worked with them uh yes directed directed okay um how many total three there are at least three movies that he's directed them in before i don't know i really don't know all right well marcia gay harden was in space cowboys that's correct for three points. That he directed. Yeah, he directed it. He's also in. Lee, you win. All right. Who are the uh, what um, were the other ones? Hold on, I want to see if I can get these others. Go ahead. Um, I don't think he's worth Tim Robbins. Kevin Bacon is Kevin Bacon in like? Is he in the Line of Fire? He is. He is not. He didn't direct. Oh, that's Malkovich. Oh yeah, that's true. And that's Malkovich that I'm thinking of. Um. But he's he's there's no way he hasn't worked with Kevin Bacon. He hasn't. Really? 
That's interesting. It's um, the women. It's the women. Has he worked with Laura Linney? Thrice. Really? Um, I don't know. Fill us in. Uh, Marsha Gihard is in Space Cowboys. And Laura Linney is in Absolute Power, Sully, and oh, Mystic Sully, River. That's right. Uh, why well, did I not think of Mystic River? Should have. <laughs> I don't think that one that, counted. That wouldn't have counted. It's not that. that was <laughs> He's like, okay, Eastwood's worked with Marsha Gay Harden, Laura Linney, Sean Penn, Tim Robbins, Kevin Bacon in Mystic River. Well, I didn't do bad though. I actually. I mean, pretty close. Yeah, own. I had 20, 20 to fifteen final score. Good job, good job, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, guys, are we going to... Jeez, I mean, we got a great, pretty great summer coming up. We got Barbie. We got Oppenheimer. We, we have got, the three of us getting together very soon. Three of us have it hanging out in less than two weeks. And we're going to record our watch along with... Armageddon. Listeners, whether it sounds good or email not, or text it. us or comment on Instagram, would you be interested in hearing a live recording of us watching Armageddon and drinking every time that there's a, an American and, flag? And send your guess of how many American flags there are. I, I who knows if Lee, we'll get them I, all. I, I was thinking about this. I, I love your idea of recording it, but I also love the idea of us not recording it. I mean, there's going to be a mic and we're going to record it. Whether it gets released to people doesn't matter. Now, here's the question. Do you pause it to like make sure you get, like in case two flags happen real quick? No, I think we're going to inevitably miss some. Uh, it's, we one, can't... it's one American flag per per frame. Christ. <laughs> there's and there's is going it to be whiskey? so many American flags. No, it's whatever lovely wine Lee has arranged to no, drink. We're gonna dr- it's going to be beer. Oh, you're just doing shots of beer. Yeah, You're going to be there beer. too, asshole. I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm, we'll want to know the rules. It's going to be beer. There's no way we can do this with anything. We're going to be sitting in the New England humidity. Just it, oh, If we did it with God. whiskey, it would be, so, it's so American. It would be like American. Yet, we don't get a lot of American things out here in, in Portland, Oregon. So it's, it's not humid it. yet. Don't worry. It's going to be nice. Yeah. It, if we did it with whiskey, it'd be like the end of Mystic River at that bar. I cannot believe how many shots of whiskey they all drank there. Um, that any of them could have been walking. I should slow down until I get some food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all said that. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Mystic Career Podcast. Guys, what's next? Um, so, a couple options. I mean, look, I really want to do The Sting, which is 50 years since it won Best Picture. That's an option. I also want to see Bo is Afraid is going to end up on regular VOD soon. We should probably do that. Um. We've got a few options. Um, no, I mean, this time of year, it's tough to find. I mean, I, I'd love to talk about showing up when that's available on VOD as well. That's Kelly Reichardt's new movie. Um, Are You There? God, It's Me, Margaret. That's another one that will be on VOD soon. Um, so we've, we've got plenty of options. We'll figure it out. Um, we might just uh, do some old movies to revisit until we start getting into... Uh, you know, serious movie time for 2023. God, it's going to be fixie season before we know it. Well, it's that's what happens when we do the fixies in March. <laughs> it's like in April and end of March. It's already, it take, doesn't take a lot of time. 
There's a lot of revisits this year. I mean, 10-year revisits. We've got 12 Years a Slave, Gravity, Dallas Buyers Club, Wolf of Wall Street. 20 years we've done already Lord of the Rings, Master and Commander, and Mystic River. 25 years, Thin Red Line, American History X, Big Lebowski, Life is Beautiful. 30 year, Schindler's List, Philadelphia, The Fugitive, Shortcuts. 40 year, Terms of Endearment and the Big Chill. 50 year, The Sting, Serpico, Badlands, American Graffiti, Mean Streets, and The Exorcist. So, there's a lot. Love to do The Exorcist. There's a lot we can talk about. We could save The Exorcist for Halloween. Um, We also are planning, we haven't quite confirmed this, but we were, I think, seriously considering doing a Denis Villeneuve director series pod that we will release um, just before Dune 2 is uh, slated to come out in theaters. And we will obviously be reviewing that. So we've got a lot on the docket, guys. Um, Well, better get watching. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And we love you all and have a lovely, safe summer. Thank you so much for joining us. You won't hear from us until the fall. No shows for work. What if she no shows for church? Why is this not stopping recording? Stop. You know. It's the last call looking for you. She was worried something might happen. She told me about Dave. Told me what she told you. What kind of wife says those things about her husband? And why'd she run to you? And you call? Because it's like I told the girls. Their daddy's a king. And a king knows what to do and does it. Even when it's hard. And their daddy will do whatever he has to for those he loves. And that's all that matters. Because everyone is weak, Jimmy.